0: Welcome to the DevReady Podcast, where we're helping non-techs build better tech. Today, we're talking to two people from Archistar. Uh, One is Rob Curry, who is the co-founder of Archistar, and also Chris Clark, who is the head of consulting. Um, Thanks for joining us, guys.
1: Yeah, thanks, Andrew.
2: Yeah, thanks for having us.
0: Welcome. I appreciate it. Now, I've been hearing a lot from Chris. I've known Chris for quite a number of years now. <laughs> I don't even know how many but quite a number um, and he obviously came onto the Arcistar team about three three and a half years ago and he's been telling me a lot about how you're changing the landscape in terms of how we find property sites and develop sites um, and how you actually understand what can fit on a site based on cancel regulations and all the bits and pieces in between but love to hear it from yourself Rob as to what the benefit of Archistar is and what value it's bringing to the marketplace.
2: Yeah, well, in its current format, what we've got to now is essentially it's a tool that helps you find and assess property development sites. So basically, you know, our core customer is a property developer who's looking for new sites. They'll come onto Archistar, they'll, they'll look for some sites, we'll help them find them, we'll help them do some due diligence, uh, some financial analysis in real time, and even then generate some real, real-time building designs to help them show exactly what would fit on that block of land um, in conjunction with the local government rules. So yeah, it's, um, it's quite an evolved piece of software. It's come a long way since, um, since we first started. And yeah, but we're, we're really excited about how far it's come.
0: It sounds like it would be evolved to get to that point. I imagine there's a massive amount of data that's coming into a platform like this. Um, how has that come together in terms of the actual application?
2: Yeah, well, maybe Chris is the best place to answer that because he was a <laughs> he was a big force in yeah. helping us get that all set
1: up. Yeah, yeah pure thanks, Rob. Pure grunt work, really. Um, yeah. it, because we're we're dealing with with government and councils, and, and we're dealing with with sources that are really really varied in in both their format and their complexity. Um, you know, Australia itself is is quite complex as far as the the planning rules and those sort of things go. And um, you know, I think at last count we're in the hundreds of thousands of of person hours of of collating and, and, you know, ETL and all those sort of things. It's it's a lot of hours, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah, it's a lot of hours I mean, there's a lot of automation involved as well. um, Mm -hmm. And it's something that we're just getting better and better at every day.
0: And I suppose it's a bit of a learning there. So in terms of, um, tell us about how the business sort of started. Where did it come from? Where did it stem from? Where did the idea really begin from? And then to where it is now?
2: Yeah, look, I think, Andrew, if you take a look at the original formation of the company, um, it started with my brother, Dr. Ben Khoury. And essentially, his background is in generative design and parametric design. Um, And what they both mean is essentially, you can enter in some parameters of what you want, and then the computer will generate some different building designs um, based on what you're looking for automatically. So most architects will kind of draw one building at a time, whether it's a sketch on paper or, you know, AutoCAD or something like that. Whereas Ben will write a few lines of programming code and it will generate, you know, tens, if not hundreds of building designs, um, based on what you're looking for. So Ben was very early to market with that. And the business really started as a consulting and education business. So Ben would go out and consult to the big firms and to the unis. Um, he built some software called, um, Archistar Academy where basically um it's like an e-learning platform where you could learn um how to do generative and parametric design and that's still kicking along now very nicely so we've got a lot of universities and corporates globally who still use that learning platform and after about probably a few years of of pushing that out um through the market you know i, I joined the i sold my marketing agency my background's more in marketing and sales and, and kind of business and um, after I sold my agency, I said, Ben, I'll help you out a couple of days a week and kind of grow this business um, and, and see how we go. And nothing, that was, that was six years ago, still here. Um, so, uh, but it's been a great journey. So basically, we, we built the, you know, the academy. That did really well. Uh, what we found was that there was a lot, there's a very, very big part of the market that didn't want to learn C Sharp programming you know, I, they had I can imagine, in, yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, pretty dry. Um, it's so not for everyone, but you know, some people will love it and, and they get yeah. stuck into it, but a lot of people are just more business people that are like, Hey, look, I'm, I'm kind of developing property sites. Can you help me find sites? And can you help me kind of generate some building designs that might fit on those sites? And so we originally started, um, like a, a bit of an MVP of building out a software platform to help developers find and assess and kind of generate sites and building designs and we got some seed funding um, for our first few investors and kind of the rest is history. So we've raised you know, over $30 million now and you now we've got 70 staff. So it's come a very long way from those early days of, a, of an MVP concept.
0: It yeah, like It cool. has grown pretty quickly. In terms yeah. of, let's take it back a little bit to MVP. So a lot of people we're speaking to would be in that early stages of uh, developing product and thinking about ideas and concepts they want to commercialize. Um, how did your first approach the MVP that you took to market to developers, what was some of the thinking there?
2: Yeah, so we originally started with the software and then, i oh, sorry, the, the the e-learning academy. And then some of the bigger clients would come to us and say, look, can you guys do like this project for us? So we're looking at this site in Parramatta, you know, and we're not sure what's gonna fit in here. Could you guys take a look and tell us what would fit? And then, so we, we ended up doing a few of those consulting projects for people. Um, and then we we realized, okay, well, if we did this, if we really structured this well, we can actually turn one of these around in 24 hours. And so we said, okay, look, we're gonna offer a new service. So send us your site and then we'll turn it around in 24 hours. And it was a lot of work in 24 hours. <laughs> I think- Especially Chris if we get of, a yeah, few when We were doing that and uh, very stressful for the team. Um, it was the definition
1: yeah. of hustle. <laughs> <laughs> it was hustle,
2: yeah. So, yeah. Um, basically you want to look at all the planning regulations, the feasibility of it, all the, the designs. Um, and so if you gave me a, 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 you know, kind of a site today and I had to come up with that tomorrow. It's, and that, that's assuming you haven't got any other work to do either. Right. So, correct, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we, we offered that service. We did about 30 of them and then the clients would say, um, look, Thanks, Rob. That was awesome. Um, Yep, really like the design that you did, but can you tweak this or can you tweak that? Or, um, okay, I like that, but can you come up with a new concept now? And then um, they'd even say, oh, can you do it even faster? Like, you know, because an agent wants us to make a decision today. Like, and we're like, well, how fast do you know? Like, oh, like instant, you know? So so we realized that this was going to have to be a a software um, solution rather than a better process solution because no matter how good you kind of drive people and how good your solutions are, you know any any faster than a few hours is, is going to kind of be impossible so um yes basically we built we looked at every single step of what we were doing manually and then kind of built that into the software so that people could do it themselves and so yeah our our original mvp was quite humble um it was for you know like one state just just well only there was no building designs on there it was kind of just helping people find sites and do some basic assessment and then yeah we um then we had clients that said oh you know could you do, you know, Perth or could you do Melbourne, etc. And then we're like, yeah, well, you know, New South Wales wasn't that hard. So I'm sure we can do the other states. <laughs> I'm sure there's not much difference out.
0: between any of them, is there? <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. It's, um, as Chris could probably tell you a bit more, yeah. like there's, yeah. Um, yeah, just cause you could do one state doesn't mean all states are the same. Yeah. So um, it was an incredible amount of work to, mm-hmm. um, to kind of get the other states loaded in. Yeah.
0: I think there's a fair bit packed in that. There's a lot of learning for people to think about is sometimes people jump way too early into building tech, um, and build a product. And I think some of the advantages. Or some of the steps that you took were working on projects understanding what the client really needed and then you understanding your processes first and i think um that's that's good insight for anyone listening just make sure that before you jump into building something you've got real clarity on where you're going and i'm sure that's evolved over time from where it was then rob to where it is now but it was a good place to base and start from so Chris, jumping through the whole jumping at diff- different states, because I'm imagining every council is different, yeah. all regulations are different. Different wording is yeah, different. No yeah, the just to be Australia's, different for the Australia's
1: um, eight or nine different countries. It's crazy. Um, <laughs> and, and I suppose, you know, even through COVID and all the stuff going on with state governments, it really highlights that to the general public, how different we really are between one state to the next. And, uh, and, the, and the planning rule structure was something that um, it was it was <laughs> definitely a challenge. Um, not one state is like another state. So you, you, you're really doing nine different things uh, or eight or nine different things. So, um, yeah, I guess it was, like we said before, it was really just a, a lot of understanding the requirements, really going through what it looks like at the start, finding people that can help you. You know, we, we've engaged planners in different states to, to consult with us the whole time. And, and really so we, we um, you know, become that single source of truth that we want to be um, f- for, for the general property developer or architect or someone out there that's trying to save time. But, um, yeah, like Western Australia is probably the, one of the biggest challenges for us. That That's the most way out different to any of the eastern states, and they'll tell you the same thing from over there. But, uh, yeah, every state definitely has its unique challenges.
3: Is it getting so you prepared that, it, to go to the U.S.?
1: Um, yeah, I guess well, it's it's funny, you know, it's all a big practice run for the states, I guess. And uh, what's comforting about the United States is that a lot of the terminology is the same as, as even New South Wales. You know, okay. they, they run they run zoning, um, you know, they have single family, multifamily sort of scenario. You know, that's like low density, high density residential. And then each set of rules is linked back to those zones Um basically on a map, and that, that's the, the premise of Archistar and how it all works, it starts from
3: there. Okay, so there's a clear like, hierarchy across how everything sort of down to the lowest level it's planned. A-absol- absolutely, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah,
1: there's just a lot more of it. Yeah, you know, there's, there's, there's states and counties and, and federal and whatever it goes inside of that. Counties. Yep.
3: It's good that you had the, say, 30 customers that you did it by hand first, so you knew that there was a need in the market. You've got your process in place, you've refined it as much as you could and got it as efficient as you could, And then it sort of sounded like your MVP was a tool for you to use yourself first. So how do we just get part of this process quicker and then do the rest by hand?
2: Definitely. Yeah. So the tool was used by us first, um, before we released it out to the wild. And then, yeah, we did like a kind of gradually started rolling it out to different people and, um, yeah, over time, um, it just keeps, like it's one of those tools that it's like constant and never ending improvement really, because what you'll find is that you'll never get a perfect tool. Like there's always going to be edge cases that you miss or, or things like that, or new things come up that you didn't anticipate before, but it's just about continually making it better and better. And, um, yeah, go, it's like whack-a-mole basically. So every time you think you've won, <laughs> another head pops up and you've got to whack it down again. So, uh, but it's great. Like it, it keeps us interesting. Um, we've got a very, very quick, um, kind of development methodology. So, we're really quick at getting things out the door and we'd rather have something out the door at 80, 85% than waiting that extra time to get fully to hundred percent. Cause we know that we can iterate quick. We can iterate quickly. Once the, um, once that release is out in market. So yeah, we'd much rather release fast. Um, even if it's at 80, 85, 90% rather than waiting for the whole thing to be completely perfect before going to market.
3: Yeah. It's something we tell people is don't forget to ship and like, there's no such yeah. thing as perfect. And what you think, unless you've gone through the right way of um, assessing the requirements, what you're developing might not be what the client wants. Even when they've explained it to you, once they get it, it could be completely different.
2: Totally, totally. And then exactly right. Like you might have spent that extra three weeks to get that last 10% done, but then it doesn't matter because they didn't really like it. You've got to recode it anyway. So yeah, totally on the same page there.
3: Do you also follow the philosophy like, it's okay to ship with some bugs if you tell the customers about them? so that way you can get it out 100%.
2: quickly. Yeah, 100%. Because, like, if it's not shipped, it doesn't exist, in my view. Like, no, you have the best stuff on your you know, in your development environment or on a testing server, but until the clients see it, it doesn't exist.
3: Yep.
1: Yeah, it's that gathering of feedback that you get for that that last 10%, 15% of your product is, is you know, that's, that's where the gold is. We've been doing a lot of work with home builders in the last 18 months, and that's a really good example of we, we build a product to about 80%. And then we tailor the last 20% to each individual builder, um, even though they're all facing the same problems, they're trying to solve them differently. And that, that's that's really important to them because they end up with a product that's theirs. Um, and you know, it's the beauty of the, the SAS product that we've built. It is flexible enough to do stuff like that with um, You know, the absolute genius of, of Ben and Rob and how they've, they've set this thing out right from the start. Um, you know, it's quite unique in that way.
0: In terms of Going back to how you've built the product and the MVP to begin with, did you internalize team at the beginning? How did you go about this? Was, was Ben the guy putting the, the, the early stage MVP together or what was the scenario there in terms of how you built MVP?
2: Yeah, look, I think it's, um, it's important to have the right kind of team structure at the start as well. So at the start, um, our first few team members were all really good generalists and, um, and didn't need a whole lot of structure. So, like, it wasn't like we had to do, like, you know, weekly or fortnightly sprints branch with clearly defined, you know, um, business cases and, you know, cards and things like that. It's like, that that, that stuff all has a place. And, mm-hmm. uh, but at the start, it's kind of like, okay, we need to build this. Um, we need to be pretty quickly, you know, like, and sometimes it's great, like, to have people that can accept a looser scope where you can kind of just sit next to them and say, okay, we need to do this or this or this because that's that cool. Um, I think as you get bigger, you need to slow down a bit and then you know, have more to find and, um, uh, like better kind of user scoping and requirements and things like that. But, um, at the start, like, you know, it's important to have those, if, if you didn't have those kind of people that can kind of just take a, a bit of a light brief and run with it, um, it just take a lot longer to get that first product at the door, which, which you haven't really got the time to do. Like you've got a very kind of short runway at the start, um, to kind of validate it either way. And so. Yeah, like Ben in himself, like Ben's a really quick coder. Like, so Ben's, Ben kind of pick up a concept and whip something up in a night, <laughs> you know, like you come back the next day and it's it's kind of version one ready to go. And then it's like our original few people in the business were, were very, are still, still are very similar to that. Um, and so, but the thing is like, that's great at the start, but then over time, you know, when you've got thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of users, you need to then build the code a lot more scalable, right? And um, so, that those people are awesome at the start and for new features and, and getting things out the door that you need a different team for you know a more enterprise and, and scaled product as well so yeah but i think if you get the, the order of those hires wrong then it can like lead to a lot of delays in, in getting the product out the door and then and the opposite like if you got the wrong people working at the mature side of the business like they might get bored it's like oh all I'm doing is running unit tests all day, you know, I just want to get some cool stuff out the door. So yeah, I think it's kind of horses for courses, so to speak.
0: Yeah. I think I agree there. Um, I'd put, I don't know much about us, but our background, we run a software, Consulting business Anthony is one of those guys that would just get anything done pretty quickly But it would be a bit buggy and a bit messy, but it's done and it works and you can see the outcome really quickly um, And you get other people to clean that up, but I think you need those people in the early stage because um, Getting a product out the door like you said you need to validate it. You need to make sure you're on the right track um, You're not just spending six 12 months building an MVP. That's not really what the point of it is It's the quicker we can get it out the better generally Now, early on, you mentioned that you've raised, I think you said $30 million. Now, from starting out as a consulting business through to Academy to where you are today, um, it's moved very quickly uh, from what I can see in terms of what's happened. So what's been the impact and the changes to the business along the journey of raising that sort of capital? How did you go about that? And then what's that meant for the business in terms of how you've operated it and how you've been running it as you've been growing?
2: Yeah, look, I think for us, in terms of the capital raising, we were very fortunate that um, our first few investors were quite well known in the property and tech space and, and they had a lot of connections as well. So once they made the decision to kind of come in as investors, they were very helpful with introductions to um, you know, their contacts and, and other people that they knew as well. And so, um, yeah, it wasn't really until about 18 months ago, about almost two years ago now, where um, we actually raised our first venture capital check. From a professional VC firm. Before that, it was all high net worth individuals and family offices and things like that. So, um, yeah, again, I think it's um, it's all about kind of getting the right investors at the right stage. Like if you pitch a VC right at the start, where your idea right isn't fully formed yet and you haven't got great metrics and, and things like that, like there are some VCs now that like that I'm seeing that are getting even earlier, like into that early kind of seed um, stages, but it's less less likely still. So. Always better to have a an angel investor or a friend or family or or a contact at that stage. Um, yeah, I suppose it's um, a lot bigger risk but bigger reward, you know, coming in at that early stage. So yeah, and then um and yeah, like I think the way that we did it by kind of doing that way and then bringing in the professional investors later on once we're a bit more mature um, was probably the right journey for us for our business at least. Yeah.
0: In terms of um, you obviously got a marketing and sales background and. Um, you mentioned you sold your marketing agency. Um, for you, what's it? What's the difference been just individually for you coming into a business, just working on one business, one marketing, one aspect of it, sales aspect of it? Because I imagine that's a bit, bit of a different change for you. Um, how has that been for you as one of the co-founders coming in?
2: Yeah, look, I, I've enjoyed it. Um, I think it's, there's pros and cons of both business models. So agency's great because it's, it's exciting, you get to work with so many different businesses and, and understand them. Um, but the challenge with the agency is that the work can be quite transient as well. So, like, you might do a really good campaign for a business, and um, through no fault of your own, like, they change strategy and they don't need you anymore, or mm. they hire a new head of marketing and they got their own agencies they like better, for what it like. So, and then um, I, I'm kind of the kind of person that kind of puts my whole body and soul into it, whatever I do. So like, I never treated agency clients like a client. Like I'd treat them, if I had like 10 clients, I'd treat them all like my own business, which is not the way you should do it, um, you know?
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, but I, I imagine they would have appreciated that, so that's for Yeah, like yeah. I
2: think the client's really like me and i got good results for them because I cared so much. Like if if I had, like, if I was managing their advertising budget, like, I'd treat that like my own money. So, um whereas I know like we've hired a couple of agencies while we've been at um, Arkystar, like I look at the results, I'm like, how did you like, you know, how did you spend that many thousands of dollars and didn't check that no one converted off that? Like, you know, you should have known off the first $100, no one was gonna like that ad or whatever. So um, yeah, like I think going back to my agency, like I really cared a lot about all the clients, Um, but I think it's great having just one business to focus on because then because of my kind of personality, I can just put my whole, you know, my whole energy into just one business. and kind of get bigger like better results and outsized returns rather than kind of spreading my spreading myself too thin across ten different businesses or more. Yeah.
0: That makes sense. Chris, on to you. I, I know you're working a, a little more heavy handed in terms of the, the product development in the early stages. Tell us a bit about the journey and what sort of changed from where you started three and a half years ago to now and how it's really evolved with the team growing.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I came into the business when there was probably ten or fifteen People in our little Castle Ray Street office, um, and and like Rob said, you know we're we're up up in excess of seventy five now, I think, and, and and we use some offshore resources as well. Um, you know, it, it's grown quite considerably in that in that respect, and and it's it's meant that we have had to be a lot more structured. You know, we 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 were all uh, Swiss Army knife employees at the start. You had to do a bit of everything, um, such as the case with any small business and, and definitely any startup, um, and and a lot of it was just under the guide of Ben as, as a really sort of hands-on um, founder like, like Rob said, he, he, he could code things. So, you know, if he, if he gave people a task in it and it wasn't done quick enough, you knew, you just had to do it. Otherwise Ben would just do it anyway. And, um, and, and that, that wasn't the way it needed to go long-term and everyone knew that. And, and, you know, we've got a really good base of loyal, loyal, you know, team members that have, that have stuck around. Um, and you know, it, it shows, um, yeah, there's a lot of passion for what we do and i think that's something that hasn't been lost on anyone um through the journey it's, it's really been quite enjoyable and, and definitely really interesting um you know as far as the the team structure goes like i said we, we've had to start really putting in you know individual product managers for different aspects of the, of the the actual product now which is really cool um we focus a lot more on design and and you know ui ux rather than just sort of guessing and, and putting things together the way we think it should go. And, um, you know, I guess me individually, you know, I get paid to talk to people for a living. So, you know, I'm, I'm talking with with clients, with, you know, leads and, and pers- prospective clients. You know, we do a lot of work with government these days. They're really interesting conversations, um, diving deep into some of those, um, I, I guess, problems that, that can be solved by software such as, as what ArchiStar does. So, um, you know, and then feeding those back onto the different product, um, managers and the different people in the product teams you know whereas before it was one person now you're telling a team of people um, you know it's it's really really rewarding
0: yeah no, really good to hear
1: in terms of um, the vision
0: for the company I'll probably lean on this for you Rob what's the vision for yourself and Ben? where do you see this going what's the what's the big here goal as they might say for Arkista
2: yeah look we think of it as kind of like a digital end-to-end platform for property development so anywhere from kind of finding a site all the way through to assessing it generating that building design but even going through to like complying um with government requirements is a um is even further down that that project so i think if you look at the whole building end-to-end um industry or like property development industry like the more of that that we can help digitize um the better I think one, one kind of error we've made is maybe trying to do too much at once and, and too quickly rather than kind of biting off one apple at a time. So, um, like in recent times, we've said, okay, that's still our vision and we still want to do all of that. But, you know, with the resources that we have, um, we're going to chew off, you know, we're going to one, chew off kind one of one bite bit at a time. At a time mm. Yeah, rather than trying to you know, tackle the whole world in one go. Yeah,
0: you never to do everything right if you go down that path. It's just everything might be a bit half done and half baked if you go down that approach. 100%. And, like yeah. everything
2: will be like a five or six out of 10. Yeah. Whereas like we can now say, okay, great, let's get this one right. and let's move to the next one and get that right mm-hmm. and, and kind of move across like that. So um, yeah, I think it's still exactly the same vision as we've had, but just um, probably a bit more realistic on the timing of execution across each of the different um, pieces of work there
0: that's always an interesting one, what our expectations are on execution. How is that? How have you found that working in a tech business um, from yourself, Rob, just sort of Everything
2: always takes longer than you yeah. think it should. Or yeah.
0: <laughs> <So>. <laughs> it's generally the reality of technology. I don't, know. I don't know. Yeah.
2: Everyone I always think to, like um, I was talking to a guy, he was um, you know, CTO of quite a, quite a decent sized business. And then he started his own business and he was like the only person and he was doing all the coding himself. He's like, yeah, I'm the coder and I'm still too slow. You know, <laughs> <laughs> It's like a never ending problem. But um, I think, you know, especially as you get bigger, you've got to do more testing because it impacts more people. And so you can't just kind of say, oh, you just put that button there and it'll be fine or, you know, change this or add this feature in. Um, and then, yeah, like it also gets a bit trickier with prioritization because we've got literally hundreds, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of feature requests. So like there's no shortage of great ideas from our clients that we've kind of um, you know, collated over the years. And and we'd love to do every single one of them. And the challenge is just prioritizing it because like sometimes people will come to you and go, look, Akisara is so good. We love it. But if you just did this one more thing, then I'll sign up, you know? And the, the ch- at the start, you can just add that one thing in, right? <laughs> because it's easy. Um, but the, the challenge is when there's 250 one more things, you know, which one do you do first? And so prioritization has always been that, like probably the trickiest thing for us, we are getting better, um, over time with the process around it, but, um, it's still never easy to kind of get right.
0: I think that's, um, always interesting for people it's early days, like you said, you can go and do that one or two tweaks just to onboard a customer and sort of make that work when you've got five, 10 customers in the products. But as you grow on scale, yeah, it's, you have to make sure you're running end to end, you're, you know, continuous integration, your testing's there, everything's thoroughly managed and pushed out. You don't want to break it when they've got, you've got so many users. In terms of users, how many are actually accessing the system today?
2: Oh, there's 1000s. Yeah. So there's a a big stack of users. And with the Academy product, there's I think almost 100,000 now, maybe even more than 100,000. So
0: yeah,
2: yeah, we've been really happy to get out to such a big user base um, in a relatively niche product. Mm. Yeah.
0: It is niche. Um, that's one of the advantages that you do have, because I think people um, can sometimes go too broad and being very niche in terms of a product and delivering real value. Um, in looking at the product, um, what's in terms of architects, how are they sort of engage with the product? Because um, obviously they still can play a part, but if you're doing things programmatically, what's the impact to the architects and the design and the building models, etc.?
2: Yeah. So a lot of the architects are our clients. Um, so what they'll do is because a developer might go to an architect at the start of the process and say, Hey, you know, what can I kind of fit on this site? And then the architects are doing what we were doing at the start. So that kind of manual process where it might be you know, half a day, a day, a few days yeah. work. And, mm-hmm. and quite often that works not paid. So yeah, uh, they will do it as kind of business development, uh, which mm-hmm. is great. Like it's been a proven thing, but if they can do that in, a couple of minutes on archistar rather than spending a day or two on it um it means they can do a lot more and, and kind of pitch more work so yeah a lot of the like the more savvy architects are using narkistar as a bit of a business development tool to say hey look here's you know yeah sure if you want something quick here you go and you know if you want something a bit more detailed you can pay for it so i think it's um, it's been a really good fit for those like kind of tech-savvy architects.
0: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense because um, mm. that's the, what everyone wants to know, especially the, the smaller developers, etc. that go straight to the architect. What can I fit on here? How do I squeeze an extra townhouse in this spot, etc. cetera? Yeah. Um, and if they're spending a day working that out for them, they might not be getting paid. They might not even own the property yet. So um, Yeah, yeah.
2: And, and the developers just mm. don't like paying like that. Because they might be looking at 50 sites at the same mm. time. You know, like, yeah. so you don't want to pay every single time. You just want to ask a quick question, but then it's not fair for the architect either because they're, you know, how many free favors can you ask for? So it's kind of that weird, <laughs> that, that weird kind of awkward relationship where, um, yeah, it's kind of un, unstated, but mm-hmm. just kind of what happens in the industry. So yeah, hopefully we're helping kind of alleviate that awkwardness and then allowing the architects to work on, um, you know, a lot more of the, um, the work that they get paid more to do rather than that early stage kind of free or very low cost work.
0: Oh, brilliant. In terms, in terms of some of the learnings, you mentioned that you'd um, do things a little bit by bite-sized chunks at some of the things, but if you go back and reflect upon what's worked and what hasn't, what's some of the things that you would um, do differently other than just breaking things into bite-sized chunks?
2: Yeah, look, I think, um, I think over time like we've probably been a bit too quick to say yes to a lot of stuff so a client will come and say hey look i'm gonna i'd sign this good contract if you can just do this one more feature and we say yeah that's easy to do we would do it but what we didn't um, kind of look at was how many other clients could use that feature and so we built a lot of stuff where it's for one client or only a few clients have used it and then there's been a lot of work and effort and time to do that and it looks great it's like oh we've got that great contract but We haven't been building like it's kind of a point solution in time where like we're not geared up like our investors haven't geared up and kind of invest in us to build kind of um like individual solutions it's more trying to build once and sell many and then so i think um with hindsight like i probably would have been a bit fast like a bit faster to um, kind of partner up with you know people like yourselves who can do custom stuff for, for clients so to say well okay, here's kind of our core platform, what it does. And then if you need something custom, then um, you, know, you can work with an agency or um, your, your, own, your own IT team or whatever you need to do to make that happen, rather than us kind of taking that on. So, because then we, we could have invested that time to make the core platform stronger for a wider group of users. Yes, yeah, when so. it sort of takes,
3: I will say when you're at that level, you need to focus on your product. So you have to ser- serve yeah. the product, not the customer. If that makes you sense. do and it's
2: hard. It's hard, it's it's hard to, difficult. Like it's yeah, you've got to put like revenue in right <laughs> 100% yeah. like it's the right yeah. advice. Yeah. Um, then like when a customer's kind of got a yeah. check in front of you and you it's need revenue and yeah. you know, it's kind yeah. of great and you got it. So um, but in hindsight, like mm-hmm. making a few more tough decisions like that and, and saying no, a bit more often, mm-hmm. um, probably would have accelerated our journey with that core platform to a big so yes, you might be saying no to one customer, but then you're saying yes to hundreds or 1000s of other ones, but it's Again, in the heat of the moment, it's not easy to step back a bit from the from the weeds and, and look at the bigger picture. It's definitely yeah. not easy. No. Yeah. It's, it's oh. a real
1: it's a real balance beam, you know. Like it's something that's that's really apparent being there so long, and it is you're walking that tightrope the whole time of you know working on the core product, doing some things that could potentially bring in some immediate revenue, um, even though there may be one offs for a particular customer. You don't know where they're going to lead, uh, and software such as ours, like once people start using it. They're like can it do this can it do that can it do that and the answer is always yes yeah. um the thing that we probably could have focused on a little bit better over the years is when so even if we even if we did say yes it was then building in some lead times uh you know yes we'd love to do that and we can do that in four months or in three months and then see where it sits um but yeah it's 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 a challenge as a young company i guess
0: a young tech company that's um especially your Exciting the industry a little bit what you're capable of doing and um, then everyone becomes creative all of a sudden And how what else can we do? But that's great for you too because you're getting ideas from everybody, right? It's just adding more robustness and um, Concepts to the product. but yeah prioritizing that is not overly easy Um, When you've got like I said hundreds and 200 300 priorities sitting in a backlog, where do you start? So yeah, it's a tough one
1: I think measuring those sort of things um, is something we've we've gotten really, really good at. you know there's so many different um, tools out there these days for you know working out priority, you know me- doing URI scores and measuring you know um, you know tech effort and even even collating those hundreds of, of uh, product requests and feature requests to to find out you know um, which ones are repeated you know something as simple as that. Over the years, you know, we've got 50 people that have taken these requests. If you can't put them all into one repository and start comparing them side by side, it makes it really, really hard. Um, and, and that stuff's just getting better and better, and we're getting better and better at it.
0: What's some of the processes you put into play there? Because you mentioned you're getting better at it. So what exactly are you doing in that area?
1: Yeah, um, you know, even the other day, I think all the, we've, we've got three or four different product squads that have all gone through... Um, Probably twenty to thirty product requests for for the next let's say the next two quarters, and and really just prioritized them on, um, you know, uh, what are we saying, reach, uh, impact, uh, maybe maybe usefulness, and and uh, how confident you are at actually giving that score itself, and and going through that as a as a team with all probably ten key stakeholders at a time in the business that know what they're talking about in that particular field. Um, that's one one way. And then, like I said before, measuring, just doing a lot of, you know, getting data on our own usage and the way our, our customers are using the product. Like Rob said, there's thousands of, of, for lack of a better word, testers out there that are telling us what's right and what's wrong with the product on a daily basis. And capturing that information is a challenge in itself and then, and then paying attention to it. Uh, so yeah, lots of measures, lots of metrics, getting a lot of data, and then and then really reviewing it as a team and, you know, doing the right thing from there, rather than it just being one person going, this is what I think we should do.
0: In terms of, um, you mentioned managing the roadmap, what does that look like? Is that managed in a quarterly, annual, what do you do in terms of sort of managing your roadmap in terms of what's, what's the core direction you want to take compared to what's coming in from everywhere else, from the customers themselves?
2: Yeah, I think we've, um, again, hasn't been our strong suit in the past. So um, we've been kind of, it's been hard for us to stick to a roadmap because we've kind of put a roadmap in place and then we get all these hundreds of requests. And it's like, okay, well, let's stop doing that and move this over here and do this first. Um, But recently, probably the last six six months or so, we've got a lot better at saying, okay, look, this is what we're going to do this quarter. We're locking it in. Does everyone agree with that? Yes. Okay, cool. We're all on okay, so I think it's more about um again, just just maturing as a company and getting more disciplined and saying, Okay, look, you know, if a million dollar account comes along and wants something this quarter, will tough. Like it's you know, we've we've locked it in, they can do it next quarter, you know. So um <laughs> before we'd say, No, no, it's not everything. <laughs> Stop put that in me. first, yeah. you know, so but yeah, I think it's just kind of getting more disciplined and professional as a business and say, Well, no, we've locked in our quarter, that's our quarter. Mm-hmm. Um and so, yeah, I think it's it's improving
0: over time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, nothing ever perfect in any business, let alone um, uh, from startup through to where you are now, seventy people. It's still considered a, a small slash going to medium business. Um, but yeah, it's nothing's ever perfect. You're always learning, always evolving. And I think that's what um, is exciting, especially in a fast moving company like yours. Um, I imagine that's what gets you both up in the morning and keeps you moving every day. And then you have yeah,
3: nobody's born an Arky Star. <laughs> and then having yeah. that um, revenue and that funding probably gives you a bit more flexibility to say no to those people and put you in a better position to make those better decisions.
2: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because I mean, like you know, um, like our investors always said, like make sure you're building a good product. Like, yes, revenue is important and and to grow, but the most important thing is that you're, you're getting happy users and you know they're they're staying along and they're happy, etc. So um, yeah, I totally agree with that. Like, it's more about um, you know, the revenue is super important and we've got to keep that growing quickly. That, that's, that's not non-negotiable, but not at the expense of building a good product and, and having happy users. Yeah.
0: Rob, just probably one last question for me. Um, obviously from the sales and marketing backgrounds, it's obviously a fast moving company. What? But what inspires you about this business right now when you're in it every day? What's the most inspiring thing for you about the business and where it's all going for you?
2: Yeah, look, I think for me, it's, um, it's kind of like an infinite amount of variety in the in the role. So um, it's just like there's so much cool stuff that keeps coming across our desk every day. It's um, And the business keeps reinventing itself all the time. So, um, yeah, I think for me, it's just about, um, I'm a bit of an optimizer and a maximizer. So I like to, if things are like, six out of 10. It's like, okay, well, how do we get that to eight or nine or 10 out of 10? Like, I always like to see what else we can do. So that, that kind of keeps me, uh, that's my drive just to kind of keep improving things. Um, what What else I going to be kick out of is just seeing people grow in the business. So um, yeah, like just seeing people when they first join the business to to kind of getting promoted within the business and, and doing great work. Um, it, it's really exciting. So yeah, it's kind of like that that growth of the team plus all the variety that comes across um, our desk all the time is it's kind of what keeps me going.
0: Uh, brilliant to hear. And Chris, from your perspective, um, being in the business, what excites you about Arcistar, where it's all going, and why are you on the bus?
1: What, what excites you there, mate? Yeah, it's 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 exactly the same thing as what Rob said, to be honest. It's the variety. Every Any given day, um, there's so many different things. I mean, I get the opportunity to talk to a lot of different people in a lot of different fields we've 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 had zoom calls especially now we're we're doing internationally like we've met with with like rappers that are that are now into property vc in the states (laughs) great um you know we're we're being hammered on on um you know the metaverse at the moment and stuff like that um you know we're it's one of those things and and to to just be interested and curious about this sort of stuff and have a a company like arkistar enable me to do that on a daily basis. That's 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 what I get out of bed for. And then the other side of it, like Rob said, everyone in star is on the rocket ship. Like everyone knows where it's going. We've got a unified vision, and you know, everyone just wants each other to grow and the business to grow, uh, which is you know really special. I've not been a part of uh, something like that of on, on this magnitude before, and it's yeah definitely definitely exciting.
0: Yeah, it sounds like an exciting ride that you're you're both on here and everyone that's involved. So. Uh, in terms of coming on the podcast, really thank you for coming on and enjoying and sharing a bit of your journey and what you've learned over the journey as well. So thanks, Rob. Thanks, Chris. Um, in terms of finding a bit out a bit more about ArkiStar, I'm sure some people are budding property developers that are, are listening out there. Um, how do they find out about you and um, if there's some value for them as well?
2: Yeah, the homepage is kind of constantly updated. So that's probably the best place to get the most up-to-date information. So just arkistar.ai is the homepage and best place to go.
0: Oh, perfect, guys. And I really appreciate your time and thanks for coming on. And i um, love to catch up in 12, 18 months and see where it's all moved to, because I know it's moving pretty fast, but appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. Yeah. Thanks,
1: thanks Andrew. Thanks, Anthony. Thanks, thanks, thanks guys. Thanks, Anthony.